You know, there's something in us that doesn't like to yield. Just think about a yield sign. You come into traffic, and if there are cars coming your direction, you've got to yield and let them go. And if there's a lot of traffic, you're sitting there making no progress while they are all making progress. And if we're in a hurry, we don't like that very much. There's something in us that doesn't like to yield. Well, you might find it interesting that when it comes to our spiritual lives, yielding is the way to move forward. Yielding is the way to make progress. And so if you don't like to yield, if there's something in you that doesn't like to surrender, you're going to have a difficult time in your Christian life making progress. I want you to see that in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we are continuing our study line by line this wonderful New Testament letter. Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians scattered throughout the first century province, Roman province of Galatia. And we've made it to Galatians 5 verse 16. Galatians 5 verse 16. I ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather as a faith family, to fix our minds and our hearts upon you. Lord Jesus, you are the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. We exalt you. We celebrate today your finished work. And we ask that you would move in in our midst by your spirit to help us to understand what it means in our Christian lives to yield. And we'll thank you, Lord, and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, to establish the context of this passage, look with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. 
Paul writes, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And I told you that freedom in Galatians is freedom from trying to save yourself. It says, Christ has done it all. The work has been completed. You can rest and you can now live with the capacity to serve God and love others. That's why he says in the next verse, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Christ has paid it all. If you are in Christ, you are saved, you are forgiven. The the penalty has been paid. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't try to keep the law. It's been completed by Christ. So you can rest and have peace and joy knowing that you are right with God because of Jesus. And now you can serve God in that peace and joy. And you can love others in that peace peace and joy. And so what Paul is saying here is we need to maximize our freedom. We need to live out our freedom as Christians. So here's a question. How can you and I, listen to me, maximize our freedom for the good of others and the glory of God? How can you and I maximize our freedom for the good of others and the glory of God? That's a question, but that's not the best question. Let me give you a better question this morning. Here's a better question. Who will help me maximize my freedom for the good of others and the glory of God. You see the difference there? One question is, how can I do better? How can I love more? How can I serve God more faithfully? The second question is, who's going to help me do that? And the end of chapter 5 answers that question. The one who helps us to maximize our freedom, living in victory over sin, loving other people, serving God for His glory, is the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit of Holy Spirit 101 for you this morning. And we see this by looking at other passages of Scripture. But the Bible teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead. The Bible teaches there's one God existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not an it, not some impersonal force like you see on Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he. And the Holy Spirit, watch this, is just as much God as God the Son and just as much God as God the Father. All three persons of the Trinity are fully God. And here's what happened when you were saved. Now, you may not have known this was happening, but this is what happened. When you embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior by faith, at the moment of conversion, the moment you were born again, the the, the moment the Holy Spirit made you a brand new creation, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you to change you from the inside out. Now, Now, let me summarize that. The third person of the Godhead, God himself, lives in you. If you're a Christian, that's what the Bible teaches. And he will help you to maximize your freedom. That's what this passage is about. So I want to give you two areas in which the Holy Spirit will help you. Here's area number one. The Holy Spirit gives victory over the flesh. The Holy Spirit gives victory over the flesh. Notice what Paul writes there in verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're walking by the Spirit, 
then you will not be giving in to the flesh. Now, what in the world is meant by the term flesh? We see it here in Galatians, we see it over in Romans, we see it in Ephesians. What is meant by the term flesh? The word flesh simply refers to our indwelling sin nature. That's what that word refers to. And he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, you will not gratify, if you're walking by the Spirit, the the desires of your sin nature. And, And here's the deal. Every one of us were born with a sin nature. That's why you don't have to teach children how to manipulate or deceive. It comes naturally. Why? They're born with a sin nature. Everyone in this room, born with a sin nature. So wait, I'm not sure about that. Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Now listen, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that verse teaches us by nature, we are children of flesh. We, we have a sin nature that causes us to sin. That, that's true of everyone. And this term flesh came to be used in the Christian world to refer to that sin nature. James Montgomery Boyce writes, in the earliest days of the Greek language, the word sarx, which is translated flesh in this text, the Greek word sarx, meant mostly just your physical body, the, the soft fleshly parts of the body. But soon this word came to be used to denote the entire body as a whole. And by extension, the whole man. But when the word was taken over in the Christian vocabulary, as it was by large degree by Paul, it came to mean man as a fallen being whose desires even at best originate from sin and are stained by it. Thus, listen, sarks or flesh came to mean all the evil that man is capable of apart from the intervention of God's grace in his life. And here's what Paul's saying. You have a sin nature. And if you walk by the Spirit, you won't give in to that sin nature. Now, here's one of the great things about heaven. When we get to heaven, Satan won't be there, amen? And our sin nature, our flesh, will be completely eradicated. So there'll be no sin in heaven. We don't have to deal with our old sin nature trying to pull us in the wrong direction in heaven, amen? Isn't that good news? But for now, until we get to heaven... If we are believers in Christ, we are brand new creations, but the old sin nature is still there, tempting us to go in the wrong direction. I say it like this, the old old sin nature is always tugging on our sleeve, saying, let's go back to the, the things we used to do, the way we used to talk, the way we used to think. Let's do that again. Always trying to pull us in the wrong direction. And here's the deal. Our flesh, our sin nature, is at enmity with the things of God. It's in conflict with godliness. Look what it says back in chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed. Notice that word. They're at war with each other, opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not trying to earn your salvation. You are being changed by the Spirit. But note there that even though the Spirit indwells you and leads you and guides you and empowers you, there is this battle with the flesh because the old sin nature is opposed to the things of God. Here's how Paul said it over in Romans 7. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. I mean, I know better, and there's some things I know I shouldn't be doing, and I do them anyway. And he says, I find this principle to be true. There's a war within me. What's he talking about? The war between the new him and the old him. The spirit of God changing him and the flesh trying to pull him back to his old way of living. Paul says, there's a a war at work in the members of my body. See, here's the deal. Even for Christians, the flesh is always trying to assert itself. It's always trying to be in control. The flesh is is constantly trying to pull you back to your old way of life. And you say, well, wait, that sounds kind of hopeless. Even though we're Christians, we're still struggling with the flesh, still struggling with our sin nature. Here's the good news. The Spirit who lives in you grants victory over the flesh to those who are yielded to him. Notice how he starts the verse, or the passage, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So victory is available. And then look what it says. Fast forward down to verse 25 of this same chapter. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if the Spirit made us alive, if he made us new creations, which he did, if we're saved, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we're going to have victory over the old sin nature, we've got to walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that we are to yield to Him. Now there in verse 16 when it says walk by the Spirit, that word walk is a metaphor used throughout the Bible that means something like your manner of living. So what Paul's saying here is let your manner of life be by or according to the Spirit. Let your manner of life be shaped by the Spirit of God. The phrase by the Spirit means that we are, that we are to walk in a way that we are empowered by the Spirit. So we're to, our manner of life is to be empowered by who? By the Spirit. We're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And that verb that's translated walk, peripatete, is a present tense, listen, which means this is to be a, an ongoing, continual reality in our lives. And it's an imperative, it's a command. Walk by the Spirit, which means we have a choice. We're either going to obey, to continually let the Spirit empower us, or we're going to disobey, live in our own strength, and be conquered by the flesh. That's the option. It's an imperative. Walk by the Spirit. Will you obey or will you disobey? Will you live in spiritual defeat or will you live in spiritual victory? Now listen, victory is not automatic. There's a philosophy out there I've heard for years, let go and let God. And I understand the sentimentality there, but victory does not just come automatically. It comes to those who who consciously, continuously 
yield themselves to the Spirit of God, so they're empowered by the Spirit of God. That's where victory comes. It comes to those who continually yield themselves to the control and power of the indwelling Spirit of God. So here's a question. If you're a believer in Christ, are you living with a growing sense of victory? Or are you experiencing defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat? Do you feel helpless against your sin? Do you feel powerless against your sin? If you are a born-again believer in Christ, listen to me. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. You're not powerless. You're, You're not helpless. You don't have to live in defeat. You can, by the Spirit, live in victory. The problem, if you live a defeated life, is you don't like to yield. You don't like to surrender. And it's counterintuitive because if you yield to oncoming traffic, you're not moving forward. But spiritually, you only move forward when you yield. The issue is you haven't yielded to the power of the Spirit living in you. Letting Him have control of your life. Say, so what, what does that look like? Well, in my own prayer time, I use the, the model prayer in Matthew 6 kind of as a template for my own prayer life. Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And I say each of those phrases and I spend some time talking, about, uh, talking to God about the things under that heading. And I get to the part of the prayer that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so at that portion of the prayer, I'll spend some time confessing my sin. Asking God to cleanse me, asking God to forgive me and renew me and restore me. And, and, and after I confess my sin, at that part of my prayer, I'll say something like this. Holy Spirit of God, would you fill up my life? I want you to be in control. I want you to empower me. I want you to guide me. I, I can't live a victorious Christian life in my natural ability. If I'm going to have victory over sin, it must be supernatural. It must be you, Spirit of God, doing a work in me. And so I just ask the Spirit to fill me and by faith believe that He does. And surrender and yield and and give the Lord my life every day saying, would you move and work? And I believe that if you and I will live a yielded life every day, consciously, consistently, we'll begin to see more victory than defeat. We'll begin to see progress and growth in our Christian life. Instead of sin chewing us up and spitting us out, we'll begin to see the Spirit of God do marvelous things in our lives. So we can say no to sin and yes to God. Now you know as football season gets closer, I always try to include more football illustrations to get you ready. I think that's just good pastoring. And I read about the uh, St. Louis Rams. The St. Louis Rams in 1998 were 4-12. Not a good record in the NFL. Of course, they missed the playoffs. The next season, they had a couple of untested uh, draft picks. 
their quarterback was hurt in preseason, and Kurt Warner had to be the quarterback. Now, let me tell you about Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner played at a small college. He was a good quarterback in college, but he tried to make some professional teams, didn't make the teams. And to make ends meet for a time, Kurt Warner was bagging groceries. But an opportunity arose, and Kurt Warner made the team as a backup on the St. Louis Rams. Before you know it, he's thrust into a starting role. 4-12 and St. Louis Rams, starting a season with a backup, untested, former bagger at a grocery store. Doesn't look real promising, does it? That season, the Rams went 13-3 and and won the Super Bowl. Now, they could have resigned themselves to losing. We were 4-12 and last year. We're bottom of the, of the league. Untested quarterback. Who's this guy? They could have resigned themselves to losing, but instead, they came together, they meshed well, and they won dramatically. Let me ask you a question. Are you resigned to losing in your Christian life? Have you gone to places to say, well, not going to have victory there. Just not going to happen. I, I just, I don't, I don't think I can overcome that sin or that area or that. T- Are you resigned to losing? Or is there something in you that says, God lives in me. I can live in victory for the glory of God by his grace, by his strength, by his power. I don't have to lose. If you have that mindset that by God's grace, I can have spiritual victory, you need to yield every day. Yield to the Spirit. But There's a second reality here. Not only does the Holy Spirit give victory over the flesh... But the Holy Spirit bears fruit. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. Now notice what it says back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He makes a dramatic contrast here. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger... Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. If those are realities in your life and they're unchecked in your life and they're just who you are, it could be you don't have the Spirit of God. It could be you're not saved. Now, he's not talking about stumbling and falling into a sin. He's talking about a consistent, continual pattern of your life. Does anything in that list describe you in an ongoing way? It could be you're not born again. It could be the Spirit of God does not live in you. But notice here he takes this list of fleshly things and he contrasts them with fruit. Look what it says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, if these things are born in your life, it's not because you're trying to keep some commandment. It's because the Spirit of God is, is, is working in you and bearing these fruit. The word fruit here speaks of godly, listen, godly realities that are produced through your life. That's what the word fruit means, karpos. Godly realities that are produced 
through your life. And who wouldn't want some love in their life, right? Some joy in their life, some peace, some patience. Who wouldn't want that produced in their life in an ever-increasing manner? And fruit, listen, this is so important. Fruit comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 22. He writes, but the fruit, here's a genitive phrase, of the Spirit. This fruit is of the Spirit of God. It's not of you. It's not you producing this in your life or working it up in your life. It's the Spirit of God working in and through you. So this is true of your life. One of the worst ways to approach the fruit of the Spirit is to read that list and say, okay, I'm going to be more loving. Or I'm going to be more joyful. Or I'm going to try to be more patient. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's the one that bears it, watch this, as you yield. He's the one that produces that fruit. Now let's look at the fruit of the Spirit very quickly. There are three groupings here. First of all, the first branch of fruit describes our personal experience with God. There in verse 22, look at the verse 3. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Love is simply affection for others that leads to action on behalf of others. And a growing love comes from the work of the Spirit in your life. Joy is great pleasure and happiness that is not contingent upon circumstances. And joy comes from the work of the Spirit in your life. Peace is wholeness, completeness, an absence of turmoil within and without. The peace of God comes when you have peace with God, but an ongoing experience of His peace is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Is is the Spirit doing that? You might call this first branch of fruit Godward fruit. This fruit deals with our experience with Him. But there's another branch. The second branch of fruit describes our relationship with others. Patience. Patience is the ability to endure difficult situations and people. Let me say, I don't think you were listening. Patience is the ability to endure difficult situations and people. Anybody in here ever need patience? And, without losing your joy and peace. That's what patience is. Endure hard situations, difficult people, difficult relationships, without losing your joy, without flying off the handle. Patience. Patience comes by the work of the Spirit in your life. Kindness is a, it's a disposition that is not hostile or rude, friendly, generous, considerate. Oh, how our society needs more kindness, right? And kindness is produced by the work of the Spirit in your life. And then goodness. Goodness is moral excellence that positively impacts others. And goodness grows in your life. By the work of the Spirit. Now the second branch of fruit is, is, is manward. It, it, it deals with our interactions with others. But there's a third branch here. The third branch is, uh, is a description of our individual growth. Faithfulness. That which makes a person one on whom others can rely. Trustworthy, reliable. You become more faithful. You become more trustworthy by the work of the Spirit in your life. Gentleness. Treating others with tenderness and compassion. Gentleness will become a growing reality in your life as the Spirit has growing control of your life. Self-control. This is exercising complete control over one's desires and actions. 
And self-control comes by the work of the Spirit in your life. These are inward fruit. So the first three speak of our relationship with God. second three speak of our relationship with others. The third three speak of our inner disposition and personal maturity and growth. And all of those fruit come about, or realities in our life, by the work of the Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing about fruit. If you go to a fruit tree or fruit bush or whatever, if there's fruit, you know it. Amen? If there's not fruit, you, you know it. My family, in the summer, we love to pick blueberries, fresh blueberries. We come back with all these blueberries, and Claire gets them, and for you know a couple weeks, it's just glorious. There's blueberry muffins, there's blueberry pancakes and waffles. There, I mean, just blueberry everything. It's wonderful. Blueberry cobbler, blueberry. I mean, you know, it's just wonderful. We love fresh blueberries in the summer. Well, a couple summers ago, we uh, went to go get blueberries, but but the bushes weren't weren't giving off fruit. They weren't there to be picked. It's very simple. There are blueberries here. Or there are not blueberries here. I mean, fruit is easy to discern, right? It's the same way in our spiritual lives. Coming close, coming close. These things are either growing realities in your life or they're not. And whether or not you discern it is beside the point. Everyone else can discern it. Everyone else knows if there's a growing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness in your life. They can. It's evident. Either the fruit's there or it's not, right? And it's only there by the Spirit. As you yield to the Holy Spirit of God every day, you won't have to have a checklist. So I was more loving that hour, and I was more joyful at lunch, and I was more peaceful. No, Instead of a checklist, you just yield to the Spirit. He'll take care of all of it. He'll produce that fruit through your life. So Paul's saying here, if you want to defeat the flesh, which is at war with your new person, if you want to have godly fruit in your life, walk continually, consistently by the Spirit. And here's what I want you to walk away with. Yield to the Holy Spirit every day. Everyone say every day. Every day so that you can live in victory and produce godly fruit. It's just that simple. Let me close with this quote from Tom Schreiner. I think this really sums it up well. You ready? Believers are not called upon to summon up the strength within them For their new way of life is supernatural, stemming from the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you leave today and say, I'm going to do better, you haven't heard the sermon. But if you leave today saying, I need to yield, I need to surrender. I want the Holy Spirit within me to have his way in my life so I can bear fruit for the glory of Christ Jesus. If you'll yield every day and walk by the Spirit, you'll begin to see these things happening in your life. And listen, when the Spirit does it, who gets the glory? God does, amen? 
we could pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, we'd get the glory, wouldn't we? Boy, oh wait, he's sure doing better, isn't he? No, the Spirit of God does it, and he gets the glory. 